0: we do it like this for the next hour. All gospel. we gonna take you to church. So uh here we go. we gonna start off like this. Can I talk to you for a <laughs>
1: And welcome to another edition of the Fancy Football Chat Ask Me Anything series. Back again for 2022. Got a fresh season ahead, lots of excitement to look forward to. But let's dive right in. We've got the man of the hour with us right now, Angelo from Angelo Analysis. How are you doing today, Mr. Angelo?
2: Good, man. You know, it's a a nice, sunny, 60-degree day in Chicago, so no complaints from me.
1: Since we don't have any football on today, what uh, sports are we tuning into? Yeah, basketball, the Masters, baseball.
2: Um, baseball. I'm a Cubs fan, so um, I think I didn't catch much of the game, but I know uh, Suzuki hit a homer, so that's cool. I think it's his first one in the majors, so it's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of you know getting these profiles ready and everything, and and uh, getting things wrapped up on a Sunday, so it's been great.
1: And let's definitely hit on that. Um, if you haven't seen Angelo's material before, definitely be sure to check out his content at AngeloAnalysis.com. Been a subscriber for a while. Um, How many years have you been doing this, by the way?
2: It's going to be year three, three okay. I believe. Yeah, I started actually in 2019 with more of just like the prospect threads on Twitter with like David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, like that class, that was kind of like the opening for me. Um, but then I decided to, you know, to, to branch out and create the website and create the Ascension grading system. So um, this is my second, third year. So uh, it's been great, man. It's been a lot of fun, met a lot of cool people, get the chop one up with awesome people like you guys. So uh, it's been cool.
1: I know we touched on it last year. And for those that haven't been with the fans football chat or, listen to us before this is angelo's third time with us on the podcast um which would lead me to believe i guess we caught you right as you were coming out of the gate uh strong um yeah sure but uh for those that uh don't follow me definitely should be following him. you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not on twitter uh as far as rookie prospects and analyzing them i would be hard-pressed to find somebody that does it better than angelo so uh not to keep tooting his horn here but let's jump right into the questions unless there's anything you want to uh you know uh anything you've got coming up here soon anything that the people need to be looking forward to anything like that
2: just the why series comes come out every sunday so uh this sunday um why george pickin doesn't that one's actually going to be free i do basically a poll every week um to let public know kind of, hey, this is coming. Which one do you guys want for free? Um, and George Pickens is the one um, the public decided. So I'll be dropping him probably right after we get off. So probably around you know 5, 6 p.m. Central time, be dropping that one. And then YPR Strong Jr. as well. And then I'll probably do a couple of AGS updates this week when I get to it. And then I'm just kind of getting the ball rolling towards the NFL draft.
1: Awesome. Uh, I know personally, whenever it hits – December January you kind of start sliding back a little bit kind of treat it as the off season, a little bit of a breather uh, with how deep you go into the rookies and the fact that this is prime time uh, you know prospect season what do you get an offseason at all or are you just go in 110% you know all year round
2: it's kind of it's interesting because usually my off season is I would say I like got November or probably the the biggest downtime I get. Um, but usually I'm trying to either create something on the back end, like doing some of the stuff on the site, um, hiring developers, things like that, to where it, it's kind of a constant year round flow of something. But in terms of like the prospect stuff, I try to give myself at least four or five weeks to just be a fan, if that makes sense um especially of college football and just kind of relax and and watch games and and enjoy me watching the Chicago Bears get their butt kicked every Sunday so um but yeah so usually only just 4 or 5 weeks of just relax and then um kind of full speed ahead toward draft season
1: the grind never stops it is it's a lot it's a lot credit to you uh because I can only imagine with the dynasties and you know dealing with the rookies as lightly as I do um just in the general regard, I can only imagine trying to do this like nonstop. So credit to you um, and the people definitely have a bunch of questions about those rookies. Um, we'll start with mine because it's a softball here. Which rookie is flying most under the radar to you and why is that the case?
2: Airstrong Jr. Um, one play guy, not, you know, didn't get on national television, but for me, I have him on AGS as RB2. That's what he graded out as, which is kind of wild. Um, but he has all the traits I think NFL teams are looking for in a um, Pro Bowl caliber back, especially one as explosive as he is, ran 4-3-9 in the 40. Um, had one of the most impressive under-the-radar freshman seasons we've seen in a long time where he had over 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, an average 9.5 yards per carry. So. He's a guy that produced at an early age um, and had the early career production that you would want to see from a small school guy and dominated at that level for for you know for, for four years. So I think that's the biggest thing with him is obviously, you know, we see he's a 23-year-old prospect, but for me, I look more at when did he start producing? Did he just produce as a junior and senior? Obviously, this is against inferior competition to that of like the Big Ten, SEC, ACC, like higher level Division One schools. But talking about a guy that produced at a historic clip as a freshman with the nine and a half yards per carry, eleven hundred yards, and he 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 had eleven hundred yards on less than hundred and twenty carries. So, Impressive back, man. I'm a big fan of his and hoping he gets third, fourth round draft capital, and we can see him in an offense like the Atlanta Falcons or the Tennessee Titans.
1: Most definitely. Most definitely. Um yeah, I'd had my eyes uh not necessarily set on him, but um I'm glad to see I'm not completely off base there. Good start. Good start. Love to see it. Um let's see, uh you mentioned your grading system a few times. For those that aren't familiar with it and not to give away the recipe, um, you may give like a general rundown of like what makes yours different than everybody else's.
2: What I try to do with, with the Ascension grading system is make it two-pronged. So it's film and analytics tied into one um, to give my own spin on what I think prospect grade should be. A blend of both. So it's like 70-30 film analytics. So I try to look at like like factors on film such as like receivers, like contested catch rate, like contested catch, contested catch rate, um, release, you know, in in out of break transitions, like for running backs, look at more of the cognitive skill set, some of the stuff that for me, that it catches my eye on a film with running backs, especially those who are successful at the NFL level. Then analytically, we talk about dominator rating. We talk about yards per catch. We talk about you know some of the like BMI and, and some of those other like, analytic factors that we should be factoring into our own grading process. So for me, I try to do that as much as I can. Um, and that's really what AGS is built around, that that, that culmination um, of athletics, to kind of give out a a firm prospect score.
1: And I will say, uh, along with the grading system, you have a, uh, I would say sort of a comparison tool for like for Traylon Burks in the mold of XYZ meshed with the skill of ABC. And I was just sort of rattling those off to the community and they were guessing the player based off your analysis, which was really uh, interesting because, you know, not too often you can throw uh, two different players and come up with a rookie that happens to be the one that fits the bill. But, yeah, you've got uh, you've got it right on the nose there. So, love to see it. Um, the grading system is excellent. Uh, super in-depth, a lot to it. If you're on the website, be sure to check that out. Um, as far as those metrics are concerned, when you're grading tight ends, do you have a certain one that you tend to favor over the others? And also, do you believe that there are any that make a fancy relevant impact sooner rather than later in this class for tight ends?
2: Great question. And I think the one for me is I don't usually grade tight ends unless I can see them as a primary receiver. So like Kyle Pitts, for example, was one I graded because I'm looking at him and how he plays. He's a receiver, not a tight end. Um, but he's going to, you know, he's in a tight end body and he's, you know, he has a tight end positional um, <laughs> positional alignment. So for me, it's 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 interesting when you look at tight ends, because um, for me the biggest metrics that you can look at are how he compares to wide receivers. Look at it. Look at where he lines up. Look at if he's out wide in the slot. Is he is he getting targets around the line of scrimmage on the second, third level of the defense? Um, how is he being used? Is he the focal point of an offense? That's really for me when we talk about tight ends. You want a tight end who is a large part of the passing game, not just a secondary or tertiary option. So guys like Travis Kelsey, Waller, like those guys are folks of their own passing attacks. um, And for good reasons, they're damn good players. But when we look at tight end, that's a little bit more rare. So generally, when I look at the tight end position, I want those more so those unicorn type guys like the Kittles. The Wallers, the Kelsey's that are going to be actual receivers and not just be an inline blocker um, at the tight end position.
1: And so, going off that, do you have a feeling that there are any tight ends in this upcoming class that could be, you know, the receiver impacts like that, or there's nobody like? I know Pitts was a unicorn in in and of itself, but anything close to
2: that coming out? There's two guys I think that are pretty good. I think Trey Mc, I think McBride is one of those guys that's pretty solid. Uh, I don't think he, I don't know if he's going to be as impactful as a guy like, let's say, Kyle Pitts, but I think he's a guy who can have an impact on an NFL passing game. Other guys actually, Jelani Woods, um, he's really intriguing because of how athletic he is for his size. So he's a guy like if I'm going a tie in premium league, I'm, you know, I'm looking to take a shot on him as well.
1: Excellent. Uh- And not to get away from the rookies, but talking about Kyle Pitts, we still believing in the Falcons' offense this year? Or is that kind of like you have to hold through the bad times? How are we feeling?
2: I think, you know, Marcus Mariota is at quarterback. I think they're the primary suitor for Malik Willis if, if the Panthers pass on him and take Kenny Pickett. Um, I think that's what we're looking at. I think Mariota is going to be a bridge QB. I think that's what he's going to be for the rest of his career. I don't think it's quote-unquote his job. So I think he's going to be a bridge guy for whichever rookie they take. Um, that could be in the second round or the first round for the Falcons, but I think it, it, it's looking like it's going to be Malik Willis. If not, I want to know how they feel about King Pickett, but I think Willis is the one that fits the mold of what you know Arthur Smith is looking for in a, in a QB for that offense.
1: And speaking of bridge quarterbacks, uh, how do you feel about Mitchell Trubisky? Is he uh, going to be a bridge quarterback as well? Or do you see Pittsburgh actually trying to build something around that? Uh, it's actually, hard I'm to even big Bears,
0: la- big hard to make it
1: through that sentence without laughing there. Sorry about that.
2: For sure. I mean, I'm a big Bears fan. Um, I've been since I was little. And the one thing I remember about Mitchell Trubisky was he's a damn good kid. Uh, he's, a, he's someone you root for. He's a good leader in the locker room. Everybody likes him. But he's – you know, a starting caliber NFL quarterback for like a multi, like for multi-seasons. I think Pittsburgh, um, I think Pittsburgh is a prime trade-up candidate um, for quarterback this year. I think they have their eye on, in particular, Willis and Ritter. Then um, we'll see if any other guys are looking at too, like like Corral and Pickett and, and Howell and, and company there. So, But yeah, I think both Mitch and Mariota are going to be bridge quarterbacks. Um, and with Mitch, with those guys, what you get to in fantasy is it, it, it's kind of a dart throw. If you're in like a you know, dynasty startup, you have a pretty QB two in the meantime. And those guys have good rushing upside, especially Mariota. So, um, that'll be a fun one to kind of take a look and see how that both those offenses look, but I don't think those are both long-term guys.
1: And we're going to stay on the people possibly outed on draft day. Um, Would you be more concerned for the teams that have current Atlanta wide receivers and them getting sort of pushed back by Atlanta drafting in the wide receiver category or more for the Houston and Buffalo running backs and them doing the same in the draft?
2: Interesting. Um, I'll say this, especially Houston and Buffalo running backs. I think Buffalo needs a back no matter what. Like, I think that's that's for certain. I think Josh Allen needs some tread off his tires. Um, in that case, because he's, he's the primary goal line option for that team, um, he's your franchise guy. You're gonna you're, you're gonna want to take take that load off him as much as you possibly can. So, you know, a guy like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, one of the premier backs in this class, makes a lot of sense to me. Or later round guys like Brian Robinson, Damian Pierce, guys who can shoulder that that workload between the tackles and also on short yard situations um, will be pretty key. Houston's interesting because their offensive line isn't going to be great this year. um, And they're going to expect to lose a lot of games. They're going to be in the QB sweepstakes next year with, 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 with um, young and Stroud. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see what their running back room looks like. um, When the, when the NFL draft ends, Uh, I think they draft at least one back. Um, but if a guy like Brees Hall goes there, I mean, obviously bad team, but you can expect an up, uptick in reception since he'll be playing from behind a lot. Atlanta wide receivers, that's a tough one. I think they take one and take one early if they don't take Willis. I think they do they do take Drake London, um, Drake London um, or Garrett Wilson if Willis is off the board or they decide to go the different route and take either one of those guys.
0: Love to hear it. Um what's
1: one aspect this is from Sam in the community, what's one aspect of rookie evaluation that dynasty players tend to overrate? And what's one aspect they tend to underrate?
2: Sam, that's a great question. I think the one thing that's overrated is I think the NFL combine in general. Um and I think that because I think Play speed is more important. If we can get GPS data on these guys, Traylon Burks, great example. Ran 455, but he has the fastest speed of a ball carrier this year in college football. Tests like that, but what do we what matters more to us? Uh, the test in shorts or the game in shoulder pads and a helmet? Um, and that's the most interesting thing about this class because there's some of those guys here, um, like Traylon Burks. But underrate <laughs> I would say we. i say two things are underrated. Interviews, one of them. I think watching interviews and learning about um like ability of a player is important. Um, that's kind of hard because if you don't have a background in psychology, um, I don't. But um, more so in like sports psych and in that realm. But for me, it's it's interesting because you can kind of tell when a guy's disinterested in conversations you know for me one of the best interviews i've seen was actually jonathan taylor at the nfl combine a few years ago and that one sticks out to me because i'm like this guy is so likable he you know looks you in the eye he shakes reporters hands and guy that i think is going to do well when adversity hits and that hits all these guys especially rookies um and that's something i think that we don't talk enough about because it doesn't you can't really. there's not like a metric for that like it I wouldn't to make one because it—that it, just you know it, it's tough to quantify that. But it's something to look at when you're evaluating players too. Um, but then also I think another underrated aspect is how they process information and what they have in their toolbox. Are they, you know, they, do they have just one or two moves they go to, especially when we're talking about receivers? Is there a depth of releases they go to? Do they go to one or two? Um, is there a lot of things that, Is there there something these guys do um, from a broad perspective that can lead them to have success on Sundays? Or is it just they do one thing well, like a Nikhil Harry, let's say, where it was like, okay, the contested catches were great, but what else does he bring to the table? Um, And that's important to kind of realize, in my opinion.
0: Great
1: answer. Uh, Definitely will hit Sam for that because he's going to hear all of that. Um. Another one from him is, "What's one thing that you've learned um, since you've entered the fantasy industry that you wish you knew before you came into the scene?"
2: And that's a that's a really good question. Um, in terms of what I've learned, the biggest thing is, you know, always be yourself. I that's the biggest thing. Is is don't trying to put that aren't really me if that makes sense like in terms of like rankings and things like that it's that's kind of the hardest part because like that's stuff everybody has but trying to be unique and trying to be you know self in that regard where you're not basically copy pasting content So, so you know having like a niche a niche and and following that i think is the one thing that I can say about the fantasy industry in any industry, really, if you're trying to be successful in it, just being yourself in that day, whatever that looks like, and just putting your own creative spin on it and having fun with it is the most important thing. Like, this shouldn't be – this is fantasy football. This shouldn't be a job, right? This, this should be fun. Um, this is a game that people love to play. And for me, I love to evaluate these guys and, and use my own spin as, as my own job in sport and human performance – um, to do that. So that's a lot of fun for me and just kind of being myself, I would say, and, and just kind of staying in my own unique niche and and just kind of doing things the way I want to do them.
1: Find your lane and live it up. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Um, Let's jump back over here, uh, not necessarily to the NFL draft, but to your fantasy drafts. Um, Let's toss mine in here first. Are your league mates just constantly shook with your rookie analysis and, like, in your rookie drafts, like they're constantly on the edge of their seats, or do you find that they're reading a lot of your material to try to stay ahead of you?
2: Um, I don't think most of them know. Uh, so, my, my friends, like, my really close knit friends definitely know about it, but I think. Most part, it really kind of level of competition in my league. My league, because I think my league, man, like I'm fishing for all this knowledge, prospects, and they have to kind of do the same. Um, and I think it's great, it, it, it breeds awesome competition throughout my leagues, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely funny sometimes because of like in the back of my head about like giving advice to my own <laughs> my own friends and <laughs> league mates because I'm like man like I don't I I don't want you to win but uh but I also want to give good advice so it, it, it it's kind of it's funny it's kind of tough. There's been a couple times when you know out and one of my league mates randomly not knowing it's me like commented on it and like one of my other buddies saw it and was just dying laughing um because he had no idea that was me um. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just at the end of the day that happens. Yeah. But it's not like a to me, it's not a big deal because it means I have to be better, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like iron sharpens iron in that regard. So like if someone's if one of my friends is reading my stuff and I'm competing in a league with them, like I, I have to be that much more on point to, to win a championship for sure.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, personally, how early are you willing to take a quarterback or tight end in this draft class, assuming it's single quarterback format?
2: single quarterback the only one i'm probably looking to take in the first round it depends on where these guys go but malik willis i'd say um just because the rushing upside is, is pretty prevalent with him like you can even look at like let's say jalen hurts you can just swap those two guys out and you'd take jalen hurts you know this rookie draft in one qb in the first round probably because of the rushing up, rushing upside he's you know he's top eight qb um because of the rushing upside and willis thinks a better version of hurts um similar body type but that's I think where the comparison ends but I think in terms of guys who are a focal point of a rushing offense and a rushing attack that's Malik Willis in this year's class I think there's guys who are good scramblers and guys who are mobile like Ritter Howell and Pickett Corral all those guys are mobile dudes um Malik Willis is the only one I can be like okay I could see this guy getting above 750 yards and eight touchdowns and awesome. probably around um third round like late second early third depends on where these guys land and how early they go like if McBride goes in the early second round we're like okay like to a good offense that passes the ball a lot that I think we can say okay this is a guy that you know an NFL team's going to utilize pretty well kind of like Pat youth Fri- in Pittsburgh
0: and wow there's
1: just a bunch of stuff uh happening in Pittsburgh this off season. uh with Juju being shipped out uh how are we expecting that wide receiver room to look? Is Deontay Johnson gonna be able to do it all himself, or was Juju a helpful asset to him when taking the defensive odds off of him?
2: I think it's gonna be interesting because this Mike Freeze gets a lot more underneath targets, um, or we Deontay Johnson, Deontay Johnson, emergence in one of the league's premier receivers in terms of target share. Um, I. Both those are possible getting Najee Harris involved more as a receiver. Obviously he was involved a lot in terms of the out of the backfield stuff last year with Ben Roethlisberger at the home. But I think this year they want to use, utilize him more in the slot to create some mismatches on linebackers and safeties, which I think he does a great job of with his size and movement skills. So that's something I can see happening too, but also depends on who's at quarterback, Mr. Trubisky versus X, you know what I'm saying? So um that's tougher. But I think the one thing I can bet on is Deontay Johnson having a absolutely massive target share.
1: All of my Deontay Johnson shares are happy to hear that. Believe you me. Um, how do you personally, how can you tell if a player, mainly running back or wide receiver, can thrive anywhere versus needing to be in the right situation specifically?
2: kind of have to just go back and look at, like, who they are as a player? Um, do they need a classic example? I guess I would say to make this a little bit shorter than like a twenty-minute answer is <laughs> Traylon Burks for Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson succeed anywhere. He's like last year in last year's class. I should say Devonte Smith was that guy. He had nine hundred yards in the league's most run-heavy offense in the in the league. You know, um, with Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. That's kind of like Garrett Wilson's class. He's he's going to succeed wherever he goes. Um, the level of success will depend on you know his offense and environment around him. But I think largely he's one of the he's the safest receiver in this class and the one I have the highest film grade on. Burks is interesting, he's the higher ceiling of the two, but he's also somewhere where you need a creative offensive coordinator in order to get the most out of him. Or else it's, you're going to get a guy like you know like LaVisca Chenault Jr. Look at his freshman year versus. Freshman year in the league versus sophomore year in the league. We saw a drastically different, like in terms of usage and production. And I think that's where the Chennault comparison comes into play too with him is very versatile player, but for him to grow into a number one option, you have to scheme him to every week plans. And that has to be a part of Burke's growth. I think Burke is a way higher ceiling than Chennault and does a lot of does a lot more than, um, she provides you, um, on the third level of a defense second level as well. But I think from that standpoint of you're going to need a creative offensive coordinator to move him around, get him the ball in a multitude of ways, um, in order to get the most out of him on a, on a down to down game to game basis.
1: And we've spoken a lot about Burks here. Um, do you think that he's got the most potential to be the wide receiver one or is there anybody else in the draft class you've got your
2: eye on? Fantasy, yes, because of how many ways he can win. That's what sticks out to me with Burks. Um, great play speed, uh, has great above-the-room capabilities, really good in-air athlete, great after the catch. But he has a lot of question marks, and he's he's unrefined in a way, which is a good thing, not a bad thing, similar to how A.J. Brown was coming into the league. Um, but I think he has the most potential to be in three, four years on the line. I think he has the highest ceiling but he also has the lowest floor out of that top-tier group, which to me includes Drake London, Garrett Wilson, and Sky Moore.
1: Mm, 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 mm. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Good knowledge there. Um, Sprinklestick has a good question here. Are there any times recently that you've had trouble quantifying an aspect of a player in the current film model? And I'm just going to dumb that down to what's been the most recent head-scratcher moment of a prospect?
2: A, that's a really good question. I think the the one I've had the most trouble with was actually Pierre Strong Jr.'s uh, his analytics score um, because he goes to a smaller school. He produced at a high level very early on in his career, but what way his production, should his historical production essentially be bogged down because of inferior competition or is his historical production so historic that you, you give him the same grade as someone like, let's say a Brees Hall in that category um, who did it, you know, in a division one um, and a better, like better conference, better competition. So that's one I struggle with too. And he's going to be one, he's a litmus test for me because he's the first back I've had or player I've had, um, who have been really high on that have made me kind of go back to the process and say, okay, what do I do in this specific instance? It doesn't happen very often. The last guy I can remember in one double A to be this highly rated was David Johnson. So it's been a minute, but I think that's one for me I struggle with because it's you know produced really early, produced at a high level, but produced in one double A. But at the end of the day, I think production that's where i'm kind of getting at it now but i mean we'll see if i'm right or wrong in in a few years um i'm excited to see pierre strong play out because i have him rb3 and rb2 in totality on ags so it's pretty high grade for someone who's the nfl is looking at as a third fourth round pick
1: you're not wrong holy cow yeah that's a little bit skewed there somebody's going to be coming away
0: with a nice little uh Draft, there. If he ends up falling that far. Do you think that he actually will fall that far?
2: He's, I think he's going to be a probably a fourth rounder. I think that's mm. what I'm looking at right now. I think he's, in my opinion, he is a second round pick in the NFL draft in terms of talent. Um, but I don't think he gets picked before. I think James Cook goes over him 100. Um, but some of those other guys. Robinson, um, Zamir White. I think he's kind of in that, um, that category in terms of potential capital. Um, I would take him, obviously, over all those guys since he's, I rated him pretty high. Um, but he's an interesting one to see this year, man. I, I, he's the one I'm looking forward to most on that day two, day three turn.
0: Hell yeah. Um,
1: are you going to be not to get off the topic, you gonna be doing any uh, streaming or anything like that during the actual draft, or is that your time where you get to sit back and just wait for the decisions to roll in before you jump back into the mix of uh, analyzing everybody and how they're going to go in drafts for ADP and whatnot?
2: That's a great question. I think for me, the NFL draft is... It's stressful enough being a Bears fan, so <laughs> what I usually do is... Uh, I just usually... You know, order some pizza, hang out with my wife and dog, and just chill on the couch and watch the Bears make mistake after mistake. So that's kind of what I'll be doing this year. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what I do every year. But, yeah, I, I don't really stream or anything during the draft. Um I just like to hang out and relax usually.
1: Maybe you're bringing the bad luck on the Bears yourself with your uh, typical uh,
0: draft day uh, stuff. So. Oh, I know. Mm. Am I might. Don't want to get too deep there, but uh, uh, speaking of the draft, um, it comes to draft day, you've got all
1: your prospects, you know, scouted out and everything. Do you find that draft capital spent or the actual landing spot would prove more of a shift for your rankings after the fact?
2: That's a good question. I think it's a little bit of both for me. I think one of the the interesting ones this year when we talk about Pierre Strong is Strong versus Kenneth Walker. Walker's going to get better capital than Pierre Strong. Well, I can almost guarantee that. Um, but Pierre Strong's a little bit higher on AGS. So for me, it's like okay, if I'm in my rookie draft sitting at 106, I'm gonna take Kenneth Walker. I'm not going to take Pierre Strong. I'll wait for him in the second round um, because if the NFL is higher on somebody than I am. I have to realize that and incorporate that in you know into my own decision making. Um really it's I, I think when I when I created AGS as a grading system, I created it more so to identify the probability of this prospect hitting. Pierre Strong and Kenneth Walker have similar probabilities of hitting. One of them you can get around round and a half later than the other. Um, and that's important to understand kind of like last year with Elijah Mitchell. I wasn't very high on Mitchell because I thought he was an only a zone, like an outside zone um, scheme back. Went to the best outside zone offense in the NFL. And now look what happened? He's probably, you know, and he's probably an RB one um, next year if he keeps that job. So that's, it's always an interesting one to look at landing spot in that capacity. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating because it definitely impacts my decisions and it impacts my decisions when I'm drafting too. Cause I use AGS when I draft. Um, but it's always it's always fun to kind of look at those instances and see what I'm gonna do in in each particular one and in, in relation to, you know, is player A, well, he gets better draft capital than player B, but I had player B like, you know, graded higher. So that's always a fun thing to do and and look at from year to year.
0: And to stay on that topic, um, for wide receivers, um,
1: you've got your route running as part of the grading. Uh, Dom was curious, how do you incorporate the movement study into grading route running for the wide receivers?
0: Question that's Dom, um, for uh,
1: me... that's Dom from the Dynasty Nerds, by the way, for everybody listening.
2: Awesome. Um, Great content from Dom too, he does an awesome job. So kudos to him, man, he's awesome. Um, what I usually do when it comes to like, like looking at human movement and route running, I just don't have a route running grade. So I have like a, a couple of grades that translate to route running. Um, release variation, separation, quickness is one category. Um, through break transitions is the other category that translates to that as well. So when I combine those, I look at how fluidly and efficiently the player moves in and out of breaks. Um, And also, when we're talking about separation, this is a big Twitter today. It's when they come in and out of their breaks, how do they get separation? Do they get separation when the ball's in the air? Do they get separation, you know, two feet on the ground? Um, And that's an interesting one. Like, guys like Drake London, not a super dynamic separator, like, let's say, Sky Moore, but both guys can. Separate it's just how they do it differs, um, and some do it when the ball's being a really good inner athlete separate. So it, it really depends, man. I think that's a great question, but for me, it's just a ton of different factors go into that. So when I watch guys like Drake London, he's a 95th or above percentile inner athlete, and he creates a ton of separation when the ball's in the air, and also when he's leaping and, and things like that and selling out to catch balls.
1: And I know it doesn't do your system any justice whatsoever with how many different aspects you're grading prospects on, but if we were boiling it down, you had to hang your hat on a single metric or just one of your 15 here that we've got listed. What what are you hanging your hat on to be the one that will determine whether or not they'll be
0: successful in the professional league?
2: Okay, that's a really good question. All right, film or analytics? Which one?
0: Uh, let's, let's go. one? Let's go film. Film.
2: Okay, running backs or receivers? Wide receiver. Okay, so for wide receivers, I would say. And I would honestly probably say additional versatility. I think that's a huge one for me. Um, That three-level effectiveness. are Because if you have those, I think you're going to be, in some other categories, you're going to score pretty high. But being a three-level, three-level mover, A, and being someone that can operate it's like X, Z, you know, slot. Like, that's really in terms of NFL offensive coordinators schematically moving you around and getting you touches. If you're just an X receiver, like we go back a few years to, let's say, Denzel Mims, man. Denzel Mims was just an X guy. Didn't really have ability, and I think that hurt, it hurts these guys at the NFL level if they don't. Um, and That's a really big one. We're trying to project – essentially be stars in the league. That's why guys like Smith, Jalen Waddle, they have good positional versatility. They can line up inside or out and have success. I see there's some that are better one than the other, but in a short answer, I think being versatile and where where you are put early on in your career is going to make an offensive corner move you around.
1: And for running backs, um, For film, oh, I would imagine it's either the brake transition efficiency or their acceleration capabilities. Or am I completely off base there?
2: Um, no, you're not. I think it's a for running backs is interesting because schematically it makes a big difference. Um, where like you know outside zone, inside zone, power, you know they run dual. Like it's a lot of different things you can look at for running backs what they run and at the collegiate level. But for me. I, I like to talk more like about like how will they anticipate you know whether it's anticipating contact or how they anticipate openings um, and how versatile they are there. It's, that's really important for me when looking at looking at running back. That's what really separates I think Pierre Strong from some of these guys in this class. Is he has phenomenal anticipatory qualities both through contact and we're talking about. Through hole, through like three different pathways and in setting up defenders at the second level just anticipating those things and how to seeing the chessboard before the move happens
1: good way to put it love that analogy um dutch one of the uh staff here he's asking how do you deal with any preconceived thoughts or biases on a prospect when you're evaluating them because i mean you're seeing these guys year after year Scouting them all the way up through college, I can imagine you're seeing shifts in their talent. Um, you have uh, struggles with eliminating those biases, or not so much.
2: Yeah, I, I think as human beings, we have inherent biases towards everything, really. Um, but I think it, it's funny because I watch film, I'm say early out, I was more biased towards the running backs in particular that have more dramatic movement tools that that weren't just linear driven um but now i've kind of calmed down on that more so and more look at the broad toolbox the mover if that's one of them great if not what else do they have in their toolbox right um do, you know do they have a screwdriver a wrench if you know what i'm saying so um, there's a lot you know there's a lot of different ways you know um you know if you can you can hit a nail with a screwdriver but it might not be very effective um but that's kind of how i look at it um say the, I'd say dealing with those, that's where the grading system comes in. Cause like put my, like my eyes on like, it's, and I can be completely wrong and be like, this guy's still like Travis Etienne, Good example. I was in film last year, still graded out as a pro bowl caliber back. So like, I'm wrong. I have to, if I'm on the clock and I have a chance to draft Travis Etienne, I should probably still draft
0: him that for sure and I know uh you're not a giant
1: IDP guy but is there any uh, defensive player that's jumping out to you for this draft class that is head and shoulders above others
2: uh Kyle Hamilton for sure I think he's one of the best football players in this class I think he's an absolute star um I don't care what he ran I don't care how he tested Uh, he's a guy when I, when I watched Notre Dame play this year, every single time they were on defense, he was around the ball. When the ball was in the air, he was, he was finding it, locating it, making a play on it. He's a special, special prospect, in my opinion, at the position. Um, he's the closest thing I think that we've seen to Ed Reed since Ed Reed. Um, he's an absolute star and he's one for me. I don't play IDP. Um, but For me, man, watching the NFL, he's someone I'm just really excited to see fly around and make plays on that back end.
1: Love to hear it. I'm definitely making a note of that for all my IDP leagues. Everybody else should do the same. Um, See here, we've touched on the wide receivers. Um, The biggest change in your fantasy football philosophy or assumption since the last time you visited us last year?
2: Ooh, okay. Um say for me somatic fit matters a lot more than think we think The biggest reason for that is elijah mitchell i whiffed elijah mitchell and ags didn't grade him very high um didn't look hard enough and this is totally my fault didn't look hard enough at the landing spot i i knew noted that if. He's a wide zone back. He wants the best wide zone scheme. If you do that, you have a higher probability of having success. So that's one thing I needed to need to shift is the player matters, but also schematically the fit matters too. If the player has the abilities to succeed in X scheme and they go to X scheme, up. And let's say a player who isn't great at wide zone goes to a wide zone scheme. Like Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell, both same team, same class. And they traded up for one they got in the fifth round. But Trey Sermon's going to have a very difficult time seeing significant work because Elijah Mitchell fits that scheme like a hand in glove. So that's something for me. Look. Back at it like that's a mistake with Pierre Strong I'm not going to make if he goes to a team like the Atlanta Falcons the Titans um, or the Miami Dolphins I am going he wheels up on him um, like than Elijah Mitchell hmm.
0: and speaking of Miami which veteran
1: re- veteran receivers value is taking more of a hit this offseason Tyreek Kill with the trade to Miami or Devontae Adams to the Raiders
2: Tyreek Hill, because Jalen, a is no joke. He's a really good football player. Um, and arc difference between Tua and Patrick Mahomes when it comes to the deep ball. Patrick Mahomes is arguably the best deep ball throw in NFL history. Three
0: has a long, a long way to go
2: before he is churning out, you know, bombs at Tyreek. That's not gonna, that's not his game, right? He he doesn't do that. He's gonna live a lot on play action, getting getting guys open and like during motion and and using Tyree Kill, I think, more like Debo Samuel. Cause Tyreek Hill, if you look back at his um early Kansas City career when he came out of college, he was used more like Debo Samuel was. Kind of that that wide back as Debo Samuel calls it. The guy who is a little bit everywhere. He gets touches on the first level. He gets handoffs. He's in motion. You know, he's running a wheel route. Like, those are things that I foresee for Hill. I just don't foresee the six catch, two-yard, two-touchdown games with him anymore. I think it's going to be a little bit more volatile there, especially with a guy like Jalen Waddle, who has a pretty significant third-level presence, too.
1: I've traded for so many shares of Tyree Kill that makes my heart sink. Um, but <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so so it goes. Um, you live and learn. Uh, which personally on your roster are there any rainback three wide receiver threes that you're targeting to get on every squad that you can? Fringe guys are going to boom this next year.
2: is huge. I mean, what he did with Jalen Hurts in that offense. Um, highest rushing offense, highest percentage rushing offense in the NFL, still had almost a thousand yards. Um, I think Sirianni wants to use him more like he was utilized in the second half of that Bucks game, where it was like, just give him the ball, right? I mean, he's just so good with the ball in his hands, he should be the focal point of that offense. There's a reason they traded up in the top 10 to get him. I think he's going to be, um, a mid tier wide receiver too this year with some upside. Um, because hopefully that rushing that rushing total in, in that Philadelphia offense goes down as Jalen Hurts gets more comfortable um being an NFL quarterback. So he's the biggest one I think for um that position. I think we're looking at um running back. It's interesting because James Connor is one that I think if you're a contender, you kind of go after. Um there's no one really there to back him up right now. If you if they get out of the NFL draft and it's uh, James Conner, you know Benjamin. James Conner is getting two hundred fifty plus touches, hands down, and volume really matters, especially for these older backs. They can sustain that. We saw what Mike you know what Mike Davis did when Christian McCaffrey went down. He was an every week RB one, um, and James Conner is more talented than Mike Davis is. So that's a high octane offense too uh, in Arizona. So for me, I would I would look at James Conner as a as a back RB one right now with the NFL draft on the horizon.
1: Mm-mm-mm. Um, which player has benefited the most from the seasons or this off season's coaching changes? I've got a Danny Doms emote to the reaction. I guess that's what folks are uh, saying here in chat.
2: Interesting one. Um. I'd probably say dabble, and dabble in dabble. Giants for sure. I would say whichever quarterback is drafted to the Giants, whether it's this year or next year, I know that's kind of a, a crap answer, but I think that whole offense, and specifically Saquon Barkley's career, I think, I mean, man, I think using him more as a receiver is going to be paramount. His success, Dable knows that. Kadari is an totally interesting one, too, um, because I think he wants to use Tony like he used Cole Beasley, which would be great for fantasy. Um, so I think I'm going to go Dable um, with the Giants.
1: Good answer. Good answer. Um, Dom again with another question. Zero wide receiver or zero running back when drafting.
2: Hmm. Tough. Zero uh, zero zero RBE. I think you you can if you look at, at offense in the NFL and schematically what they like to do, rush percentage. You can hit on some some running backs just judging on how you know how frequently they run the football. Um. So zero. I would say I don't do, I don't use either, but gun to my head, zero RB. I think they're receivers so deep. You know, you can, you you can get three wide receiver ones. Do you really can't get RB ones? That's much harder to do on a week week basis. Um, but in like a good passing offense, you can get some really good, really good wide receivers. Um, but yeah, it's a great question. I never really thought of it like that, but I've never gone zero receiver. I've gone zero RB a couple of times in some redrafts and, it works out okay if you can hit on those guys like Elijah Mitchell, your James Connors, those guys, because those guys are league winners for you.
0: Through that, um, see here. Skating
1: through, we've got a bunch of repeats here talking about success in the NFL. Da, 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 da. Polo is asking, he says, I've been hearing people comparing this class to 2019, especially regarding the running backs. Are there any prospects that you consider to be the next Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Del Singletary? And on lesser notes, do you think any could be Bryce Love, Devon Zigbo, or Justice Hill?
2: <laughs> um, Really good question. I think the two else is Miles Sanders in terms of career arc and the shortcomings he had going into the NFL is very reminiscent to Isaiah Smith. Um, just in the fact that very different movers, different like different players in general, from a technical standpoint. But I think if Miles Sanders cleaned up what he needed to clean up, he'd be in a Pro Bowl caliber running back. I think Isaiah Spiller is that same way. He has a lot to clean up. He's my um RB five on AGS, um RB four I think on film. So I think for me, it's it's a big deal when looking at a guy like Spiller is the upside is super high but the downside is what Miles Sanders is right now is a giant question mark um i think Pierre Strong is a could be a good Bryce Love what we wanted Bryce Love to be um in that Heisman season that he had um but obviously the injury he couldn't return from that so uh he was right after that season his junior season at Stanford he was a f- late first, early second round draft pick in the NFL. Um, and then the injury happened, then obviously he's not even going to get any significant run in the league. But I think those are the two that I'm reminded of the most in this class.
0: Um, and we're coming up on the end of the questions here.
1: Chip with one more. Uh, any rookies expecting to go in the second round in most dynasty leagues? Assuming 12-team super flex that you were most excited about.
2: Um, I think Sky Moore, George Pickens. Um, those are kind of fringe guys. At running back, Brian Robinson Jr. Um, Pierre Strong. Obviously, I've talked about him a lot today. Um, also some later round guys like Keontae Ingram. I think I'm really excited about. I I loved his tape at Texas. Um, he did he had a really good year at USC, even though he got hurt the last during one of the last few games. Um, but those are some guys that I'm I'm pretty darn excited about to you know watch go in the nfl draft especially to, to get them in the second round of my rookie drafts sky Moore is probably the one i'm most excited about out of that group
1: and now that we've gotten away from the community questions here i'm going to fire a couple more at you and then we're going to wrap up here uh, appreciate all the time by the way with all the time questions being answered uh they've been some fantastic answers uh Loved it every single time. Uh, I'm looking at the FanDuel uh, Sportsbook odds right now. You're taking the over or under running backs draft in round one is set at 0.5. you taking the under or over there.
2: I think, he goes, I think there's a chance he goes the Bills in the late, late 20s.
1: At plus money, I, w- I will probably hammer that with you. Um, we've got wide receivers set at 5.5 in the first round.
2: God. All right, let's count them out. Um, have in order probably Wilson, London, Williams, Ave,
0: Burks, Sin. That's
2: where it gets questionable. Moore, Pickens, Sin, I think, too, even though I'm a giant fan of Christian Watson's game translating fantasy-wise, but I think NFL teams will love the size speed. Um, but how is that? So thats seven, right? Yep. Cool. So the they over I would say over. I would say over, but it really depends on Dotson is Dotson and Moore kind of the Dotson and Moore pickings are kind of the wild cards in that facet for sure.
1: All right, the last two here for you. Um, Total number of quarterbacks is set at two and a half. I'm assuming we're taking the over there, correct?
2: I think it's going to be three. Actually, I think it's going to be Willis, Pickett, Ritter.
0: You're taking that. That's uh, the favored there.
1: So Vegas agrees with you. And lastly, it was right
0: here. Um.
1: ACC and the Pac-12, both are set at four and a half for players drafted in round one.
0: Who, who gets more there?
2: ACC the,
0: or the Pac-12? Mm-hmm. Both oh. at four and a half. Um, I can't believe we're in a world where the Pac-12 players would be getting selected in the first round with the ACC. That's crazy. Yeah. I'd say ACC. Yeah. If uh, it's any
1: consolation, Vegas agrees with you there as well. Um, but yeah, that's all from the fantasy football chat. Um, thanks again to Angelo for stopping by here before we let you out of here. Is there anything else uh, you want to fire off to the community before we uh, call it a day?
2: No, but thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I always appreciate our conversations, man. So. Uh, if you need me to set me up anytime, um, I'll, I, I'll drop some stuff in the chat too for everybody um, once uh, the Pickens thread comes out. But, um, but yeah, man, thanks again. I appreciate it.
1: The pleasure is all mine. Uh, we'll uh, definitely will be uh, in touch soon. We'll have to talk again after the draft and the dust settles and talk about all these prospects again. But for today, that's all we have. Uh, thanks again for everybody tuning in and listening. Uh, Thank you to Angelo for sticking around. Everybody check out
0: AngeloAnalysis.com and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Y'all have a good one.